Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our topic of world religions, cults, and the occult, and we are on topic number seven. seven. That's right. You guys can read. That's it's very uh, great. I, I like that. But number seven, that's right. Now, it says in your notes there, notebook, believe it or not, can you believe it? Not only a new topic, where we're actually going to get into the workbook. Yeah, a moment of silence or a calm murmur would work as well. Uh, but it says there lesson five, but it's actually the seventh topic that we're on, and we're talking about the big guy. Uh, that is Roman Catholicism, okay? Now, <clears throat> when you go, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but you go into uh, watching the news or something, and, and they're given some perspective on some religious issue or moral issue, whatever, and of course they have all the uh, secular guys and the secular scientists and the secular university professors and this and that, but they want to try to be fair and balanced, and so they go, and now for the Christian perspective, nine times out of ten, who they pull in? A Catholic priest, bingo, I didn't even have to say that. You're, it's, it's, he's like, what? Right? And then oftentimes, uh, sometimes you'll even hear Christians verbalize that, hey, don't, you know, Catholics, the same thing as... No, it's not. And we're going to begin that journey, folks. I'm not making this up. We're going to deal with their writings, their teaching, their catechism, their Bible, okay, their belief system, and it is not Christianity. And uh, it's something that we need to get equipped on because we are talking about... Uh, a ton of people around our planet, folks, that are being duped by this entity called Roman Catholicism. Uh, we, the, remember we dealt with before in our statistics that, quote, Christians is the uh, highest per capita around the world religion on the planet. Number two was Islam, and then number three was Hinduism. Remember that? But remember when we broke it down? Because what they did in those statistics to, counter, to call Christians, they lumped in the Catholics and the Mormons and the Jehovah. Whoa, 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 wait a second. So really, Christianity is not the number one religion on the planet. Roman Catholicism, but Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. So that means a lot of people around our planet are being duped with this pseudo-Christian cult. But let's get started in our workbook. It says uh, there at the top of the page, it says, We have looked at some of the major world religions, including Judaism, Islam, Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, along with what we just finished up, the U.S. variant and not just U.S. variant, it's all over the world, uh, the New Age movement, okay? These religions are decidedly what? Non-Christians. Can we agree on that after all of our study, right? I mean, obviously, when we begin to take a look at all these different ones, man, there's no way. How in the world, again, could you make that statement that all religions are basically the same thing? All religions have the core beliefs, and they all get you to heaven. Excuse me? And again, remember, what was the axiom? If anybody comes up to you and says, even in the church, that don't you know that all religions are basically the same, what they just told you is they, haven't, they don't know anything about world religions, and they certainly don't know anything about biblical Christianity. That's impossible. It's one of the craziest statements. Now, I get that, because that's what you need for the mindset for the last day's global religion that's fast approaching the planet, okay? But, so we can agree those are not Christian. Now, listen, the next grouping we will look at is the major pseudo-Christian. Pseudo meaning fake, meaning false. Okay, fake, false, pseudo-Christian religions, commonly termed as Christian what? Cults. So what we're about to talk about is the same type of a cult, just like Mormonisms, just like uh, Mormonism and just like Jehovah's Witnesses, and we're going to see Seventh-day Adventists and things of that nature. Okay, but guess what? It includes Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism, as we're going to see, is a pseudo-fake Christian cult. Okay, and we're just going to begin to deal uh, with the facts. Now, that's easy to demonstrate, and I want to give you some stuff. This was from last week, okay? This is not something, well, that's what they used to believe, and you guys are just being those wacky conspiracists, and they don't believe that anymore. I mean, haven't you heard of Vatican II and the council? They changed their belief system. No, they did not. No, they did not. 
Okay, the one thing that they did change is now they're inclusive. They want all religions to come together under their umbrella, the Vatican. But this is from last week, and this is a headline from last week. Is Roman Catholicism the same thing as biblical Christianity? Not even close. We're going to get to hopefully seven strikeouts uh, tonight. Give me a break. And I'm just dealing with current facts, okay? Number one, it says this, and this was just last week. Headlines, this is from CNN. Pope Francis extends Catholic priests power to forgive abortion. Is that Christianity? Is that biblical? Is that what you and I believe? So how in the world could you sit there and make the statement that Roman Catholicism is the same thing as biblical Christianity? You can't. And this is not a subset issue. This isn't like a secondary issue. Like, well, this is your version of the rapture. Or, no, this is what you believe on the spiritual gifts. Or, or, no, no, no. This is the core issue. This is sins. How do sins get forgiven? This is salvation, right? You can't get this one wrong. And if you sit there and say that the Pope has the ability to extend the ability to other men the power to forgive sins, I got a problem with that. And this is, that's the headline. Okay, so that is strike Number one, okay, and I'm just dealing with current facts. This is not biblical Christianity. How could you call it? But it goes on to say this. A special dispensation was granted uh, for the year of mercy, okay, which gave, listen, all priests rather than just bishops and specially designated confessors the power to absolve the sin of abortion. Now, what do they mean by absolve? That means this. The Pope says, you guys, you men, just a man, just like in us here, or your wool mans, Okay, that you have absolved. It means this, you, you have the power, according to Roman Catholicism, to now declare free from blame, free from guilt, free from responsibility for the sin of murdering a child. Is that biblical? What's going on here? And, and why would you interview those guys on the news and say, this is the Christian perspective? This is major stuff. And the reason, why did they do that? Because it now makes it easier. Why did the Pope do this? Because remember, what, what's the goal? Global religion. Right, And they want everybody to come under their umbrella, just like it was before the Protestant Reformation. They controlled the ecclesiastical and the governmental control, which is going to be repeated in the seven-year tribulation. The woman rides the beast, Antichrist, right? the religious harlot, Babylon the harlot, riding the Antichrist. Antichrist what? Global government. So who's working together? Religion and government. It's going to be repeated, folks, again. Okay, but we don't know our history, even as Christians, and that's what Rome has done for many, many centuries prior to the Protestant Reformation. Protestant, protesting what? Protesting what we're about to get into, right? And that back in the day, Rome had the power over the governments. It wasn't just ecclesiastical control, it was governmental control. And what they would do is hold over the head of the governments that if you don't do what we say, we will take away your salvation. We will not allow you to do the sacraments, which means now you're really doomed, Okay. And so they would literally make them grovel and do what they, they had control of it all. They've never given that desire up. They want it back. And I'll never forget when I was pastoring in New York, heavy uh, Catholic area, and I was listening to the AM Catholic channel. Just what are these guys talking about, right? And you know how they describe you and I, okay? Even though 1500s, right, the Protestant Reformation, okay? They call us what we're in, and oh, by the way, they're saying it's ending soon. And you can see signs of that because the church is going back to Rome, Okay, they call us the Protestant experiment. Just a small aberration in their history, but we'll come back to the mother church. That's their words, not mine. You see all their verbiage out there, you know, they put out there in the banners and stuff, come home, welcome home. That's what they, right? That you and I need, just need to come back. We're just this little experiment, you know, little rebels. But we 
Protestants rebelled for a good reason. We'll get to that in a second. But it makes it easier. Why is he doing this? That now he can let these guys forgive sin, which is blasphemy. It makes it easier for women who have had abortions to be absolved for their actions and rejoin the church. Because that's what it's about. This got to all be a part of this thing. Okay. Now, since the first century, the Catholic, and this is from CNN. Since the first century, the Catholic Church has held that any Catholic who procures an abortion, who kills a child in an abortion, incurs automatic excommunication and the penalty that only a bishop could lift. So now it used to be just the bishops, which is still wrong, but now he's going to say, now I'm going to open it up even more, now the priest, in case the bishop's busy, you know. Right? Instead of now, and unless you think that's not really what they mean, that it's really the forgiveness of sin that a man can do, uh, Kate uh, D. Anuzio, whatever, from Rachel's Vineyard, said that, quote, Pope Francis has clarified that now priests, listen, now priests have the power to do both, forgive and Welcome women back into the church. So this is exactly what they mean. They mean that they have now given the authority to a man, more men, to forgive sins. Is that Christianity? Absolutely not. The year of mercy is a long-standing Catholic tradition during which believers may receive, listen to this, special, here's your word we're going to study on for a while, special indulgences. Okay, special indulgences, which, quote, believers may receive uh, special things, uh, indulgences for their sins. So during this season, they come up with these new ways that you can get out of the punishment for your sin. Uh, okay, let's take a look at that. Now, and that's all because they have a different view when it comes to sin. Now, again, this is not a secondary issue. This is not your view on eschatology. Okay, which is a secondary issue by and large. This is not your view on the, the gifts. Are they all in function? Or some, only some of them are in function. This is dealing with the core issues of what we believe in. You get sin wrong, you get eternity wrong. Now, the reason why they got it wrong is because they break sin into two categories. The first one is what is they call mortal sins, and the next one is called venial sins. Well, first of all, who gave you that authority? Who, who told you that you, a man who, by the way, we've all sinned, so a sinful man can determine what sin. Right? So that's a whole other thing. But that's what they do, is they break it into uh, mortal and venial sin. The consequences, though, of not having a biblical understanding of sin, and thus not responding to, listen, not responding to sin accordingly to the Bible, is, quote, devastating beyond words. An incorrect understanding of sin can result in eternity separated from God in hell. So how many guys would say it's a big issue? So of all things, you better get right. It's what do you do with sin? How do you get sin forgiven? Who forgives sin? Right? And if it ain't from God, if it ain't from Jesus, you're in a heap of trouble. Right? Let's continue on. The catechism states, quote, Mortal sin is an intentional violation of the Ten Commandments in thought, word, or deed, committed in full knowledge of the gravity of the matter, and results in er, the loss of salvation. That's from the catechism. Can we lose our salvation? No. Strike number two. Okay? So how can you sit there and say that when you interview a Catholic priest on TV for the Christian perspective, how could you say that? So man does not forgive sin. You don't have the power. Only God does. Number two, you got it wrong on this one too. You can't lose your salvation. Are you, you mean to tell me that Christ's work on the cross is insufficient? That's what they believe. Now, of course, then what you have to do, we're going to get to another strike. Then they say, oh, but guess what you got to do to get it back? Works. And guess who gets to define all those works? Roman Catholicism, strike number three. Okay, but let's, let's go down to that. So that's what they do. That's a, if you commit what they would call a mortal sin, because they get to define that, right? 
then you lose your salvation. That's not biblical. Salvation may be regained through repentance and God's forgiveness, but you got to do their works to get that. Okay. Uh, venial sin may be a violation of the Ten Commandments or a sin of lesser nature. Who gets to decide that? Right? But it is committed unintentionally and or without full consent. Although damaging one's relationship to God, venial sin does not result in loss of eternal life. Okay? Well, let's examine this. First of all, the concepts of this, mortal sin, venial sin, presents an unbiblical picture of how God views sin. Okay? The Bible states that God will be just and fair in his punishment of sin. Guess what? Sin will be punished. All sin must be and will be punished by God because he is a just God. Not just loving, he is a just God as well. The Bible does not state that some sins are worthy of eternal death, whereas others are not. Here's the issue. Here's what the Bible teaches. All sins, even one sin, is guilty of deserving to go to hell. Right? That's it. Okay, and that's what the Bible says. All sins are mortal sins, and that even one sin makes the offender worthy of eternal separation from God. James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point becomes guilty of the whole thing. Let me give you an analogy. It's really easy, right? Because they want to say, well, it's not that bad. Well, this is the bad category. This is the not-so-bad category. And if it's in the bad category, then you lose your salvation, which is unbiblical. But this one's not too bad. But either way, we got some things that you could do to get yourself out of that mess. And a lot of it involves this. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now, but here's a biblical analogy. It doesn't matter if a person throws a very small pebble through a window or several large boulders through the window. What's the result? The window is busted, okay? In the same way, it doesn't matter if a person commits one small sin, whoever gets to describe that, or several huge sins, okay? The result is the same. The person is guilty of breaking God's law, and the Lord declares he will not leave the guilty unpunished. But that's what they do. Oh, no, it's just a, that's a boulder sin. No, that's a pebble sin. That's it. Hey, sin is sin, man, as far as when it comes to the punishment uh, being uh, qualifying you, unfortunately, uh, for eternal damnation in hell. Okay, second, the concepts present unbiblical view of not just God's view of sin, but the payment of sin, okay, the payment of sin. In both cases, mortal and venial sin, forgiveness of the given transgression is, listen, dependent upon the offender making some type of restitution. Can I translate that for you? You have to work your way out of your mess, i.e. your sin. Is that what we teach? Strike number three is a works-based salvation. You have to do something to get it back. Right? What you're doing is attacking the atonement work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? And again, notice we're talking about sin. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about how to get rid of sin. We're talking about how to get to heaven. We're talking about serious salvific issues. You can't get these wrong. This is the core of what we believe. This is not a secondary issue. You like wearing black robes. I wear robes. No, we are the church of no robes. No, we're not talking about that stuff. This is, whoa, this defines what is Christian and Christianity what is not. And you ain't, you've already got three strikes. It ain't looking good. And all it takes is one strike. Because if you get the wrong Jesus and what to do with sin, you're in a heap of trouble. You're going to hell. And if anybody is propagating a lie that sends people to hell, should you and I work with that? No way. No way. 
Okay, but that, that's, that's it. The payment of sin. Both cases, moral and venial sin, you have to do some type of restitution. In Roman Catholicism, this restitution, listen, may take on the form of going to confession. Nothing wrong with confessing sin, but they turn it into a work, right? Okay, praying a certain prayer. Is anything wrong with the prayer? No, we pray with a relationship with God, but they turn that into a work. You have to pray, and I'll get to that, a specific type of prayer in the specific verbiage they say in order to get that supposed sin absolved. Excuse me? Yeah, over and over again, big time. We'll get to that. Uh, receiving the Eucharist, which is their, with all due respect, perverted version of communion, okay, which is not the same thing, that this is the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus that gets transformed even though it stays the same, and we dealt with that on the video last time, uh, and some other ritual or some type of performance. The basic thought is that in order for Christ's forgiveness to be applied to the offender, the offender must perform some work for f forgiveness to be granted. The payment and forgiveness of the transgression is, listen, dependent upon the offender's action. What is that? How is that any different than the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, Islamist, the Muslim, who has to keep the five pillars? You got to pray every day, right? You got to give alms. You got to fast with Ramadan. You got to hopefully make that pilgrimage. You know, and on, how's that any different? We would call that out in a heartbeat. No, 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 that's workspace. How's that any different than Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses? And you try to be a good person or stay away from caffeine or do all this stuff. Or you got to go on your bike tour and be this missionary. And you, you got to work your way into the top kingdom. How's that any different? So why would people hesitate when it comes to this? This is blatantly false. And again, it's not a secondary issue. This is salvation you're talking about. Don't mess with that. Don't get that one wrong. Strike number three. The Bible clearly teaches that payment for sin is found uh, not in and is not based on the actions of the sinner. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he, Christ, Jesus, might bring us to God. Jesus paid it all. The person who is believing in Jesus Christ, all of his or her sins have been taken care of on the cross. Christ died for all of them. This includes the sins the believer committed before salvation, the ones that he committed and unfortunately will still commit after salvation, and dare I say, even the ones you're not even clueless of. Right? Christ has taken care of all of them. He doesn't bust them into different categories and say, well, here's what you gotta do to get yourself and that's, that's why Christ's love compels us, because it's complete. He did it all. In fact, it's impossible. Think about it. It's illogically impossible for me to know everything I do. We don't know, right? How can I know of every single sin that I've ever committed? I don't know. The Bible says the heart cannot know. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? God can. But man can't. So I don't know. So how am I ever going to even, even if it was a workspace and it's not, but if it was, how can I ever get rid of them all? I don't even know them all. So you're doomed, okay? But praise God, Christ did it all, right? That's the good news, but that's not what they teach, which means they're leading people to where? To hell. It's a serious issue. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Christ having, Christ having forgiven us of all our transgressions, not just in the past, all of them. They have been nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. Jesus said, John 19, 30, it is finished. He had fulfilled all that was necessary to grant all total forgiveness and eternal life. Paul states in Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in 
Christ Jesus. In fact, it's a double negative in the Greek. It's really cool. It means no, not one bit, no, not one, not a zilcho. There is not one smidgen, not one smell, not one vapor, nothing of condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because he did it all. And that's good news. And then he goes on in Romans 8. He says, nothing could separate us then from the love of God. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons. Woo-hoo! It's called eternal security. Right? He did it all. But if you sit there and say, oh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, it's Jesus, but that's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. And that's the rule, right? Anytime somebody says it's Jesus and Jesus or Jesus, but that's not the gospel. And that's what Catholicism says. Oh, yeah, it's Jesus. And that's how they snooker you. But it's no different than the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Have you ever been talking to them? They come, and what do you say? Oh, I believe in Jesus. What do they say? Every single time. We do too. All right, let's go beyond that. Tell me about your Jesus, Mormon. Well, he's the, well, they won't tell you this, uh, but he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. (laughs) That ain't my Jesus. What about you, Jehovah's Witness? Oh, he is the archangel Michael. (laughs) That's not my Jesus. Right? Roman Catholic, who's Jesus? Oh, he's, he's good, you know, God's son. But here's what they won't tell you, but this is what they teach. Oh, but see, you have to keep your salvation by doing the things that we prescribe to you. And you have to go through us, man, in order to be forgiven. Whoa, that's not my Jesus. But yet people still stumble and they go, but, but isn't that the same thing? Catholics, aren't they Christian? Wow, it's, it's crazy, okay? Now, what was the thing? We're getting into the section of pseudo-Christian, fake Christian, false Christian cults. Okay, is what's going on here. Third, these concepts present an unbiblical picture of God's dealing with his kids. So it messes up the view of God has towards sin, how the payment of sin, and how God deals with his kids uh, with sin. Does the Bible teach that a person who is fully uh, saved by God through Christ can lose their salvation and then somehow regain it? No, double no. Okay, it does not. Once a person has placed his faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, the Bible teaches that person, listen, is eternal secure. Let me just give you one verse, John 10. Jesus speaking, by the way, verse 27 through 28. My sheep, he says, hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I, Jesus, give them eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So never perish. How long is never? How much is never? Ever, never. So that's number one. He follows it up with another emphatic statement. No one will snatch them out of my hands. So does that include you? Me? Anybody? That's what Paul says in Romans 8. Neither life nor death, angels nor demons, nothing can take you out of the hand of Jesus Christ because praise God, he paid it all. Right? That's, that's the good news. But that's not what they teach. They teach, oh no, you can lose it, which means you're saying Christ's work on the cross is not sufficient, and then it's up to you pull yourself up by your bootstraps to finish the job. I've said this before, but it's, it's a visual but this is what scares me when people say that. Okay, so basically, you need to go up there and you need to climb up on the cross and you need to slap Jesus and say, could you have finished the job for me? How come I have to finish? But that's when somebody says, you have to finish the job. When you have to maintain your salvation, that you can lose your salvation, you attack the cross of Christ, and then it's up to you to finish it. That's what you're doing. You're attacking Christ on the, what? That's why eternal security and people that say you can lose your salvation, how far can you push that? 
right? Is that really a secondary issue? Because what are you trusting in then? Is it the all-sufficiency of Christ on the cross? Or is it really that I, I, can, I can make my way back? And that's a very scary thing. Romans 8, uh, Paul says again that uh, nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels, principalities, neither things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in what? Your own works? No, Christ Jesus, our Lord. The concepts of mortal and venial sin are not biblical and should be, hello, rejected. All right? So now, that's where they get it wrong because they get salvation wrong because they get sin wrong. And we're just dealing with their own promotions, unfortunately. Now, they have, according to their false view of sin, where they break into these categories, mortal and venial, okay? Uh, but what they do is now they say, we have some things you can do to get it back, right? Here's their works. Now, one of the words they use to describe that is a whole system of things you can do to get rid of your punishment. Part or all. We'll get to that in a second. But these things are called indulgences, right? That's the fancy word for indulgences. These are the things, according to their false teaching, that you can do to get rid of these two problems. Okay? None of it's biblical, but this is what they teach. An indulgence is a, quote, a way uh, in the Roman Catholic Church to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins. Who absolves us from the punishment of our sins? Jesus Christ. Strike number four. We're just getting started. Right? Who absolves us from Who forgives us? How do we escape the punishment? How do, who saves us and rescues us? Romans 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5. Who saves us and rescues us from God's wrath? Jesus Christ. Who releases us from the punishment? Jesus Christ. There's nothing you could do. And yet, this is what indulgences mean. See, it's a very, if you're into religion, then, man, this foots your bill, doesn't it? See, I, I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of people, man, wants to be religious. Because religion makes you feel good, right? See, when you become a Christian, you have to humble yourself and acknowledge that God is holy and I am not, oh, wretch, and beat your breast. Oh! God, save me. Have mercy on me. Now, that's humbling. And you bow before Christ in acknowledgement of what the Bible says, that he is God. He is holy, and I'm, not, I'm deserving to go straight to hell. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. But see, man's got something inside him called pride, right? Which was the fall of Satan, right? And so if man can escape from that humiliating procedure of bowing a knee before Christ and prescribe these religious ethereal things to do then you still get to feel good about yourself don't you even though you got the quandary of sin you know you blow it you know you're you know rotten and you've done bad stuff but you don't want to bow knee before christ so let me just throw some things that you can do to feel better about yourself man loves religion and man this system is all about that that you can feel better about yourself and boy we've got the step-by-step plan how to do it that's this thing they get sin wrong which means they get salvation wrong they bust it into these two mythical categories and in order to fix this two mystical categories you got to do all this stuff they call them indulgences right now let's let's go down to that uh they also teach that it may also these indulgences these things you do can reduce the temporal punishment after death in a state or process of purification called purgatory now, is that what we teach? That when you die, you go to purgatory, uh, purg, purgatory, a place? 
You go to this mythical limbo place where you in your own pain and suffering over who knows how long that you can be there, that you can, by your suffering, you can purge your sin and then maybe make it to heaven later. Is that what we believe? Strike number five. Because that's where the, the Bible, what's the Bible say? 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body is to be, praise God, where? Bang, straight to, with the Lord. Right? You don't go to some mythical place. Purgatory is not biblical at all. So these things, you can get indulgences to remove the punishment, all or part, of the sin now or in the afterlife. Oh, and by the way, we even got some ones that you could do to help your loved ones who are suffering in purgatory. I'm not kidding you, man. I'm telling you, this is a, if you're into religion, this is it. This, oh boy, let's, let's get going. And so, that, so the catechism of the Catholic Church describes an indulgence as a remission before God, a punishment due to sins. Again, who, who does that? Not you, not a work, not the Catholic Church, not something they prescribe. It's only Jesus Christ. And uh, under certain predictions uh, described by the church, the recipients of an indulgence must perform an action to receive it. So what is that? That's works. That's not what we believe in, okay? Now, they break that into categories. Now we're about to get into category nightmare, okay? You thought this was, no, we're just getting started because they got this category with this subset category and you got to do X, Y, Z, and it's, it's very confusing. No wonder their catechisms are giant and you got to learn this and I don't know. Well, just go to the priest. He'll tell you what to do, okay? Let's go there. The four general types of uh, uh, indulgence, okay? Indulgences, first of all, those are split into two. Okay, there's what's called partial, right? So you get a partial remission from your punishment, or we'll get in the second, the second category is what's called plenary, or which means full, a full pardon uh, of, that, of something you got to do. So indulgences that are partial. Now this depends, quote, on the fervor with which the person performs the recommended action. So you better be careful when you do these things. You can't just do them, you got to do them really good. And if you're not really serious about it, it doesn't count. What, 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 do you, what do you got? What do you got? Some police over there watching people? Anyway, number one, here's what it, if you want to get partial removal of the punishment of your sin according to Catholicism, number one, you need to, quote, raise, raising the mind to God with humble trust while performing one's duties and bearing life's difficulties and adding at least mentally some pious invocation. So as you go about your day, just at least mentally, I mean, you really probably should verbalize it, but at least mentally, bare minimum, think about some, and that's just partial, that's not full, but at least you get part of it. Number two, devoting oneself or one's good uh, compassionately in service of one's brothers and sisters in need. Is it good to help other people in need? Absolutely. But why do we do it? Because Christ loves us and what Christ has done for us. And that's what Christ wants us to do. And so our love for him compels us. We want to do that. And we want to share Christ and his love with other people. Woohoo! Not this. i got to somehow get rid of my punishment of sin. Right? But that's what they... Number three, freely abstaining... Not, you know, because you have to. Freely abstaining from something pleasant. Hey, that, that'll get you, you know. Number four, freely giving open witness to one's faith. Guess whose faith? Not the biblical faith. The Catholic faith. So, but that's just partial. That's four different ways that you could, in the subcategory, get, according to these indulgences, that you can get partial removal of punishment for your sins. Crazy. Now, uh, let's go to the plenary ones. This is a full one. 
right? But there's a caveat. A plen- and this is their teachings. I'm not making this up. Uh, a plenary indulgence can be gained, listen, on any day, though only once a day. So don't get too excited. Right? So if you've blown it more than once a day, which who's going to know that? But if you blow, then I'm sorry, you only get one of them done. It's crazy, folks. It's all prescribed. Okay, a plenary indulgence, listen, here's, here's the, the ways. Number one, here's how to get the full thing absolved, according to them. Piously reading or listening to sacred scripture for at least a half an hour. Dude, if your watch is messed up and it turned out to be 29, you just wasted your time. 27? Do you get extra credit if it was 32? I don't know. But it's got to be a half hour. Uh, Number two, adoration of Jesus in the Eucharist for at least a half an hour. So you got to sit there, apparently get into it, their version of communion for at least a good half hour. Really mean it. I don't know. Stare at the wafer or something. I don't know. But that's a full one. But it's got to be a half hour. Half hour minimum. Number three, the pious exercise of the stations of the cross, right? And the stations of the cross, let me explain that to you. The stations of the cross is a 14-step Catholic devotion that's supposed to commemorate Jesus' last day here on earth, okay? And there's supposed to be 14 different events that he went through, and at each station, okay, it's, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be like a mini pilgrimage that you need to walk through, uh, these events as the individual. You move from station to station. Well, here's where he was, and here's this day. Here's what he was doing, and this was that. Okay. At each station, the individual recalls and meditates uh, on or a specific event from Christ's last day, and specific prayers are to be recited. Then the individual moves to the next station until all 14 are completed. So you do that one, then you're supposed to get all. But remember, it's only once a day. That's right, Bobby. You're catching on. Okay. Number four, you guys have seen this, the reciting of the rosary, right? And that's why you're seeing these guys flipping through the beads, right? And there is actually a formula to the beads. The beads, because they're split up into five, I'll get into in a second, different sections, but they're different sizes. And sometimes you'll see a bigger bead than the other bead. Well, the bigger beads, when you get to this major milestone, and basically it's so you can do this in a mindless procedure. And you, I'm not kidding you, this is really what it is. And the beads are just, you're flipping them off to keep track of where you're at because you've got a lot to do. To get rid of all your punishment. Right? So let's talk about the rosary. Uh, but listen, it can't just be done anywhere. You can't do this while you're driving. Right? You can't do this at a buddy's house. You can't do it at a restaurant. Listen to this. In a church or oratory, a small chapel, right? Uh, it, or in a family or a religious community, an association of the faithful in general, when several people come together uh, for an honorable purpose. Right? So that it has to be in the right setting, number one. I mean, you haven't done anything yet, but you've got to have the right setting or it doesn't count. Now, the rosary comes from Latin, which means the garland of roses. Okay, that's where the rosary. Uh, and the rose is supposed to be one of the flowers, they say, uh, symbolizes the Virgin Mary. Okay, now it's also a devotion in honor of the Virgin Mary, and it consists of a set number of specific prayers. Wait a second. I, I, do you guys smell that? I smell another strike coming on. Do we pray to the Virgin Mary? Nope. Do we pray to dead people? Nope. No, that's all. And, and, and again, what, what, one, two, three, four, five. We're up to six strikes now, and we're just getting started. And yet, when you want the Christian perspective on CNN, you pull in a Catholic priest. you got to be kidding me. And, and, and again, every one of these issues, we're talking about salvific issues. Right? And now it's okay to pray to dead people. 
This, these are not secondary issues. This is not, I like robes, you like robes, or we don't like robes, we don't do robes, or we have pews, no, we have chairs, no, we have, no, no, no. We have pianos, no, you don't have pianos. We got drums, no, drums are from the devil. And all that, you know, no, we're not talking secondary issues. This is salvation. This is how you get to heaven. Why would we shy back as Christians? Listen, it's not just, oh, we're going to win the debate. Listen, if these people, and this is the largest religious group on the planet ahead of Muslims, and if, in fact, what they teach leads people to hell, how could we not? How, it's just like, it's like I tell you guys, hey, if a Mormon comes to your door, don't slam the door. If a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, don't slam the door. Who's going to witness to the so-called witness? That's sad because they think they're on the right way, but they're headed straight to hell. We have the truth, and it is our privilege and our duty, yes, to share with those who are headed down the wrong way. Why wouldn't we share with the Catholics? Are they headed the right way? No. And again, we're just getting started. Why would we? But back to the, the uh, indulgence, rosary, this category, subset category, not partial, but now plenary, full, remission of all your punishment. Uh, back to the rosary, number four of the options. But remember, how many times, Bobby? Only once a day. Uh, it consists of a number of specific prayers. First are the introductory prayers. Uh, uh, one Apostles Creed. You got one Our Father. You got three Hail Marys and one Glory Be. Okay. Now, how do you pray? Because it isn't just you say them. There's got to be a right section, the right area, and you got to do it in the right order. Uh, the purpose, the Catholic teaching, this is their own website. In fact, we, if you go to the right places, they will even show you a step-by-step diagram how to flip through the beads in the right order to get to your decided goal, to get rid of your punishment for your sin. <clears throat> so I'm not making this up. The purpose of the rosary is to help keep in memory certain mysteries. There are 20 mysteries reflected upon in the rosary. And these are divided into five categories, okay? And that's the sections they have uh, out on the beads. Before you get to a big bead, then it goes back to the small beads. And anyway, So there's the joyful mysteries, there's the luminous mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, the glorious mysteries. And you may also wish to pray the rosary online with others or by yourself which contradicts what we just read. I thought you said you're supposed to do it at some certain place. So I guess they got to redo that one. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, but also as suggested by Pope St. John Paul the Great, the joyful mysteries are said uh, to be said on, listen, listen, don't miss this or you're wasting your time, said on Monday and Saturday, the luminous on Thursday, the sorrowful on Tuesday and Friday, and the glorious on Wednesday and Sunday, with the exception Sundays of Christmas season, then the, the joyful there, but the Sundays of Lent, then the sorrowful. You got that? No, I'm not going to repeat it. Now, here's what you do. You get all that right somehow. You quote, make the sign of the cross, and then say the Apostles' Creed. Then, step two, you say the Our Father. Then you say three Hail Marys. Then you say, glory, the glory be to the Father. Then you announce the first mystery, and then say another, our Father. Then say, listen, ten Hail Marys while meditating on that mystery. Uh, then say, glory be to the Father. And then announce the second mystery. Uh, then say, our Father, again. And then repeat number six and seven, which is ten Hail Marys and glory be to the Father. With the third and fourth and fifth mysteries in the same manner. And then I like this, this. After each of the following prayer requested by the uh, Virgin Mary, that uh, this is supposed to, again, get rid of your punishment. Excuse me, this sounds like a punishment. <laughs> I mean, really, with all due respect, what? Are you kidding me? Right? 
Oh, and then when you're done, you're still not really done because then you got to do this Hail Holy Queen prayer thing, which I'm not going to repeat. And then after each of the giant sections, the ten, say the following prayer requested by the Blessed Virgin Mary of Fatima. Now, what's that? That is one of the apparitions that are floating around on the planet. It's a demonic apparition trying to say it's, uh, some of, they say that they're Mary and things of that nature. And, and this is what these people are saying that you got to do. So then you got to repeat one of those prayers that came from that demonic Apparition, which the Bible calls a demon of familiar spirit. And it's all built into that. Okay. Now, also, here's some good news. Apparently, according to the Catholics, ha-ha, yes, I'm joking, the plenary indulgence may also be gained. So those are the four different ways you can get the full. We saw four ways you can get a partial, but four ways where you can get a full, okay, in with the rosary. But you can also get a full. A plenary may also be gained on some occasions which are not everyday occurrences. So it's only special occasions. Okay. Now, these include, but are not limited to, that's their words, not mine, <laughs> receiving, even by radio or television, the blessing given by a pope. Wouldn't that be the day that you could just sit there, I wouldn't have to flip through those beads, man, I'd just watch TV. That's what they teach, I'm not making this up. Okay, or which a bishop is authorized to give three times a year. Or you could take part devoutly, you got to really get into it, Right? In the celebration of a day devoted on a world level to a particular religious purpose, their purpose, uh, such as World Day of Prayer or World Youth Day. Heard of those? That's the Catholic promoting one world religion, sucking in the youth. But, but they say you attend those events seriously, devoutly. It counts on getting rid of your punishment of sin. Now, you see, you think, oh, are you serious? She's just watching a TV broadcast or some Pope guy can give, you know, it's bad enough that you're saying that man can forgive sins, but now you're going to sit there and dish out, I, I do something and you're going to give me less punishment? Yeah, and here's another one. It's an article. This is from CBS News, the first one I read from CNN, so I'm not making this up, and this is what they did. The Va- uh, Vatican, get time off in purgatory by following the Pope on Twitter. Not making it up. Now, purgatory is not real. It's not biblical, number one. But what are they saying? There's things you could do, right, to get out of punishment. The Vatican is taking a modern approach to one of its oldest traditions by offering indulgences. Remember, indulgences get your way out of this mess. uh, To Twitter followers on the Pope's social media account, aware that some Catholics may not be able to travel to Brazil where World Youth Day, remember, because that's another way, if you don't want to go through the beads and the other stuff, if you want to get a full pardon, you could got to make it to the way. Well, I can't. I ain't got the money to go to Brazil. Sign up to the Twitter account. I, I'm not doing this. Is their words, not mine, right? And, and the Pope Francis is making the first time offer to the faithful who follow the events of Rio de Janeiro online. Under Catholic belief, after confessing and being absolved from sin from the Catholic Church, the indulgences granted reduce the amount of time one spends in purgatory. Under the Pope's new offer. Those who follow the week's events on Twitter feed can get, listen, this is CBS's words, not mine, can get a speedier transit through purgatory. Hopefully, see, you don't even know even after that, hopefully on your way to heaven. The notion of indulgence is that you've already been forgiven of your sin because you've gone to confession through the Catholic Church and a priest gets to grant that. Not Jesus, right? Oh, oh, by the way, is that what the Bible teaches? That we go to a man to confess our sins in order for our sins to be forgiven. What does 1 Timothy 2.15 say? There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. We only go through Jesus. Oh, strike, another strike. 
Okay? And again, it's, it's dealing with confession of sin, the forgiveness of sin. You're not going through Jesus, which means what are you teaching people? You're going to hell. This is, you, you, you cannot get what you do with sin wrong. It has eternal consequences. Okay? Uh, so that, that's again what they teach. And the amount of time that you spend in purgatory um, uh, after you die to work off that sin. So CBS even admits it. It's a works-based salvation. which uh, But that was a quote from a Patrick Hornbeck. He is the chair of the Department of Theology at the University of Fordham in New York, Catholic University. So I decided to go look up that university, and here's what I found. They've got all kinds of things, uh, certainly how to become a Jesuit. We'll get to that in a second. But also they have something that you can get involved in uh, for the kids, right? Kids, if you want to be involved, click on this link. You can get involved in their interfaith ministry. What's interfaith? Remember, we've talked about that many times. Interfaith is the Buddhist word for what? All religions. Who wants to be in control of the global religion in the last days? The Vatican. Right? And this is there. I'm not making up. Oh, in that same one, Fordham, you can go there yourself, look at yourself. This is on that. You click on the interfaith, and here's what they say. Rooted in our Catholic and Jesuit identity. We are a community where people of all faith traditions are welcome. Whether you are Catholic, Jewish, Hindu, Orthodox, Christian, Muslim, or exploring, we invite you to one of many campus ministry events that we offer through the year and explore one of the many clubs and organizations that call campus ministry home. Okay? And apparently uh, this you know, thing is working because uh, I guess people are getting tired of flipping through beads because listen to this, the number of Pope Francis followers uh, has climbed to 27 million on his Twitter account, okay, with, with the social media stuff. So these people think they're going to get something just for signing up on that. Oh, but again, that's not all. Remember, uh, that's just if you can watch television or a radio broadcast and the Pope gives you a blessing or sign up for his Twitter account, or if you go to a special event and be really devout about it, like World Day of Prayer or World Youth Day or other things, or number three, taking part for at least three full days in a spiritual retreat. So if it's two and a half, you get sick because you ate chicken like you shouldn't have, and you get sick too bad, start all over. Okay, number four, taking part in some functions during the week of prayer for, quote, Christian unity. And special indulgences are also granted on occasions of particular spiritual significance, such as a jubilee year or a sedentary or 100 years or similar anniversary of such an event as the apparition of Our Lady of Lourdes. What's that? That's another one of their demonic apparitions around the planet that they give credence to, claiming to be Mary, and they put a, built a shrine around it, and uh, now it's a place that people can go and take a pilgrimage, and if you go, that's going to count. And I quote, look it up, Our Lady of Lords, it's a Roman Catholic title of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in honor of the Marian apparition that reportedly occurred in 1858. So this is pre-Fatima, okay? The other one that was mentioned earlier. And it went, goes like this, supposedly. A 14-year-old peasant girl told her mother, that a lady spoke to her in the cave. You should have learned the lesson from Muhammad. What happened to him? How did all that start? He went into a cave. Turn to somebody and say, stay out of caves. Okay. <laughs> and what happened there? He went in there and he saw this spirit that he felt originally was evil, an evil spirit, got out of there. His family talks him into going back and checking it back out because surely that must have been uh, Allah, and he wouldn't lie to you. And so he goes back in there the second time, and he says, uh, it wasn't an evil spirit. It was the angel Gabriel. Yeah. And then over 20, what, three years, he couldn't read or write. And supposedly this angel, supposedly Gabriel, which it was not, it was a demon, 
told him all this stuff. Quran, which means recitations, recite. So he couldn't read or write, but this angel over 23 years, a demon, told him stuff that, and then he recited that, and it was written down, and you hope he got it right over a 23-year period, and that's where you have the Quran. That's the basis of your authority. Stay out of caves. So this girl goes in the cave, and she sees this lady. Well, it's a demon. It's a familiar spirit. Right? But it said that she was the Virgin Mary, so it had to be. Okay? And so in 1862, Pope Pius IX authorized the veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Lourdes, and the image of Our Lady of Lourdes has been widely copied and reproduced. Well, so, so why did you rip out the second commandment? You shall not worship any idols in your version of the Ten Commandments in the Catechism and stuff? What? Oh, oh, because what's a big thing with Catholics? Idols. Oh, well, well, wait a second. That would only leave you with nine. So how did you end up with your version of the Ten Commandments? Oh, I caught it that one day I saw that in Northern California with my own eyes. You took the Ten Commandments, you shall not uh, covet, your neighbor's wife or manservant, and you split that into two, so you made number 10 into two to give you back to number to 10 to make up the one you ripped out. And that's very deceitful. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Okay. Oh, oh but by the way, uh, once again, we don't pray and listen to so-called dead people because the Bible is clear. When you die, you go straight to heaven. You go straight to hell. You ain't coming back. Okay. The Catholic Church celebrates a mass in honor of this lady, whatever, uh, February 11th of each year. And again, this is a special event that you could be a part of, attend, go to, do a pilgrimage to what? To supposedly uh, get rid of some of your sins, uh, the punishment for that. Uh, they also have a spring there, apparently, that this apparition says, quote, drink at the spring and wash in it. So people have done that. And uh, people, literally all of the world go there, uh, tons of them every year, uh, to go into this. And supposedly there's healings and things of that nature. So it's now become a pilgrimage site. But again, it's not just going there because you've got nothing else to do. It's going there. And being devout about it so you can get rid of your sins. What? Oh, and I like this. The Lord's authorities provide it free, the, the spring there, provide it free of charge to any who ask for it. And what did I say in my note? Interesting. You have to pay to get out of hell, but you can have this demon water for free. <laughs> I found that very interesting. Uh, it's visited again by millions of Catholics every year, and again, everybody's going there thinking they're going to get some secret healing. Now, uh, of particular significance is the plenary all-full indulgence attached to the apostolic blessing that a priest is to impart when giving the sacraments to a person in danger of death, and which, if no priest is available, the church grants to any rightly disposed Catholic at the moment of death on condition that that person was accustomed to say some prayers during his life. You got that one? So that's worst case scenario. You're about to die. Somebody's chasing you, right? And your back's against the wall. So if you can't find a priest, but at least hopefully sometime in your life that you did some sort of prayer, uh, okay, whatever, we'll let you go. You've got to be kidding me. Now, this, you think an indulgence, where have I heard that before? This was the straw that broke the camel's back. This is our heritage now because this is what Martin Luther and many others before him rejected because it's leading people to hell. This is why we call ourselves Protestants. We protested this and said, uh-uh, only the Bible is our authority, not man, not the Pope. Only Jesus Christ, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone is what saves us, not our works. And they were murdered horribly for it, okay? And yet you have Christians today backing up in the arms of this false teaching. Rome has never changed. They never will. They're waiting for the Protestant experiment to get duped again. We're headed back to the spiritual dark age. But anyway, listen to how bad it got there and what led up into the Reformation. 
Indulgences became popular in the Middle Ages as a reward for displaying piety and doing good deeds. The faithful, the Catholics, asked that indulgences be given for saying their favorite prayers, doing acts of devotion, attending places of worship, and going on a pilgrimage for putting on performances and processions, including giving uh, donations of money for a good cause. Building projects uh, uh, were funded by all these indulgences and monies and things of that nature. So is, 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 is that what we do? The reason why we do what we do, we do good deeds, we help people, we serve in the church, and, and we, we, we work at this, and we help that, and we serve in here, and we work together this, and we do that, and we, and we sing, and we pray. It's all because we want something in return. We want to get a reward. We want to get our punishment removed. Is that what we teach? Strike. Christ's love compels us. But in this system, that's what they began to cry for. Now, what happened was, guess what? They figured out, hey, wait a second. We could not just have these guys flipping through these beads. We could have them flipping through their wallets. Right? Because we can make up whatever, and they'll do it. They were called professional partners back in the day, in the Middle Ages. And they went around to collect money, okay? And the money was to generate money for particular projects. They wanted to build a new church facility. They wanted to build this or whatever, the Vatican, or just store up the coffers. So these guys went around and says, hey, in case you guys haven't heard, because they didn't have CNN back then, uh, come to your town. I want to let you know the good news. We've got a list here. Hear ye, hear ye. Here's what you can do to have your sins forgiven. And we got it all categorized for you with different amounts. Did, did you sleep with a, a harlot? $2.00. 50 cents, you can have that forgiven. Did you get caught stealing something? $1.25. That's right, going now. $1.25. Hey, it's only going to be this week that we're in town. It's a special indulgence. See, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. And they took all that money and they used it to store the... I wonder... Ah, man, we got a lot to cover. Uh, anyway, so they were. that's what they go. They go around these towns and the promises of rewards... Listen, now it's beyond just to remove your punishment, to shave off time in purgatory. Uh, now it is promise of rewards like salvation and, frankly, get out of jail for free. Money, though. So now it's the sale of money. In fact, quote, the Butter Tower earned its nickname because the money to build it was raised by the sale of indulgences allowing the use of butter during Lent. Can you believe that? And that's good news for all of you popcorn lovers or corn on the cob because, man, you're trying to eat corn on the cob without butter. But, hey, if you give the Catholic Church a buck 25, use that butter all you want. Man, they made a lot of money off of that. They built this butter tower. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm joking about the popcorn and the corn on the cob, but I'm not joking about the premise. Can you believe this? The scandalous conduct of the partners was an immediate occasion of the Protestant Reformation. 1517, Pope Leo X offered indulgences for those who gave alms money to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Um, the aggressive marketing practices of a guy named Johann Tetzel in promoting this cause provoked Martin Luther to write his 95 theses condemning what he saw, the purchase and sale of salvation, because that's exactly what it was. In thesis number 28 of the 95, Luther objected to a saying that was attributed to Tetzel, quote, here's what they were going around the town saying. As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So not only for you, but your loved ones who are already gone, you want to get them out faster? Come on, help them out. Okay, and it goes on. The 95 Theses not only denounced such transaction as worldly, but denied the Pope's right to grant pardons on God's behalf in the first place, 
We just saw that. The only thing that indulgences guaranteed, Luther said, was an increase in profit and greed because the pardon of the church was in God's power alone. The sale of indulgences spread to include the forgiveness of sins, again, not only for the individual, but for those people who were already dead. Listen to this sermon that that same guy that was going, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, purgatory. this is a quote from one of his sermons. Talk about laying on the guilt for money in this works-based false pseudo-Christian cult salvation. Listen to this. He says, don't you, can you imagine? Don't you hear the voices of your dead parents and other relatives crying out, have mercy on us, for we suffer great punishment and pain. From this you could release us with just a few bucks. We, we, have, we have created you and fed you and cared for you and, and left you our temporal goods. Why do you treat us so cruelly and leave us to suffer in the flames when it takes only a little to save us? And you could see the people who didn't know better, who didn't have the Bible, like we do that Klux does. That the reformers were strangled and beaten and killed and murdered and drowned. And they didn't know any better. So they're running up and emptying their pockets. And it works like a charm. And Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and others had enough. No. And they stood up against the establishment of the day. Oh, they also did it by not just indulgences to raise cash, by relics. Uh, they would go around and sell pieces of straw, hay, white feathers from a dove, supposed pieces of the cross that could be sold to people as things that had been the nearest to Jesus on earth. The money went straight to the Vatican and their other projects. These holy relics were sought after people that saw their purchase as a way of pleasing God, and it showed that you had honored God by spending your money on relics that were associated with his son. They also, again, made money off of pilgrimages. These were, again, because uh, you couldn't just show up to the place to do your pilgrimage, your, to get your indulgence, to get your remission of sin or punishment or what have you, for you your loved one but you had to prove it and with a badge well guess what the badge costs money so they had the sale of the badges and of course holy water you might as well grab some while you're there okay and a certificate to prove that you had been and completed your journey because you can't just take your word for it you're a sinner money all money okay now let me just give you a quote now surely they don't teach us was it really that bad What's the old axiom in history? Those who don't learn their history are what? Doomed to repeat it. I've said for years, we the church are guilty of that very thing. We're, we don't know our own history. What does it mean to be a Protestant Christian? Let me give you a couple examples. John Wycliffe. This is, pre, this is what was rolling just before we get to Luther in 1517. But this start back with John Wycliffe. And uh, he's known as the morning star of the Reformation. Listen, he basically, again, and a lot of these guys, the reformers, they were former Catholic monks or priests. They just started reading the Bible. What a concept, right? And came to realize, well, wait a second, this is wrong. Man doesn't have authority, only God. Only Jesus can forgive sins. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. It's by grace through faith and whoa, right? Anyway, so he, he began to preach that. In fact, he not only himself preached it at the place where he was the, the preacher, okay, but he sent out a group of folks called the Lollards, and the Lollards were a group of just simple Christian preachers who hit the streets and began to evangelize, to tell people the good news. Hey, you don't have to go through all this baloney. So they not only, he died a natural death, but they got so mad at him afterwards, because the deed was already done, they actually dug up his bones, burned them, and threw him into a nearby river 44 years later after his death. Ooh. 
But oftentimes they didn't wait until the person was dead to do their deed. They did it with John Huss. John Huss was in Bohemia. And uh, again, he started out in the Catholic Church. But guess what? It's the same thing. He began to see and read the Bible for himself and began to see, whoa, wait a second. This is not how you get to heaven. So he's a faithful preacher. What's he do? He starts preaching. So they said, you better stop. He says, no way. Right? And so what they do? They condemned him to burn him at the stake. They stripped him of his clothes. They degraded him, mocked him with a paper dunce cap they put on his head that was painted with devils with an inscription that said, ringleader of heretics. They pronounced, quote, now we commit your soul to the devil. But he looked to heaven and says, but I commend my spirit into your hands, O Lord Jesus Christ, which you have redeemed. And they took him off to the stake. Now, in no time of all, the man, he was engulfed in flames that leaped high into the air. But as they did, this man, listen, sung a simple hymn with such loud and a cheerful voice that he was heard above the crackling of the flames and the noise of the crowd. So they burned him alive. And he was singing hymns of praise to God. I am not going to budge from that. Thomas Hawks, listen, he was burned at the stake. Why? The same thing, same issue. He wasn't going to submit to a false teaching. And just before his death, though, uh, several of his friends asked him if he would do them a favor, and they were afraid for their own lives. They wondered how long could true Christian faith stand in the midst of the flames. Guy's being burned alive for being a Christian. So he agreed that if his pain was tolerable and his mind was still at peace, even in the midst of the flames, and by the help of God to show them that the most terrible, horrible of torments could in fact be endured for the cause of Christ and the gospel, he would lift his hands above his head. Give him that signal. And when the man, listen, had been in the fire for so long that he could no longer speak, his skin had shrunk, his fingers had been burned off, everyone thought he was dead, suddenly he raised his hands high above his hands and in ecstasy of joy clapped them together three times. And the rest of the Christians there took courage and uh, he went to be with Jesus. Why? Because he was a Christian and he wasn't going to budge that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But the Catholic Church burned him alive. And if you think they've ever changed, you're in for a rude awakening. We need to witness to him just as much as we witness to anybody else who's got a false way to heaven. Okay? Thomas Harding, again, he's just a simple Christian farmer. They caught him reading the Bible. What they do to him? Burn him at the stake. In fact, listen to this. The Catholic priest actually told the people that whoever brought the wood to burn this man alive just for reading the Bible that they would give them an indulgence. Listen to this one. They would give them an indulgence to commit sins for 40 days without fear of penalty. So now you're saying you can send up a storm. Just bring the wood to burn this man alive. you got to be kidding me. okay? Just for reading the Bible. okay? Uh, in fact, this leads to the Bloody Mary regime. You heard that, Bloody Mary? Okay, did you know that Bloody Mary regimes where many of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ were burned alive and drowned and killed and murdered and strangled to death and then burned and all that stuff? There's a nursery rhyme that has to deal with that time frame. Let me read it for you. It goes like this. Mary, Mary, Bloody Mary. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. The silver bells were the sanctus bells that the Catholics carried with them and the cockle shells were the badges that the Catholic pilgrims wore to the shrines, the shrines, and the maids all in a row were the nuns. And the garden was, uh, the garden was what uh, she, Bloody Mary, was trying to grow, i.e. forced Catholicism down people's throats. And how many times did people sing that song, and it used to be a Reformation song, of people warning about Catholicism coming in and doing the dirty deed. William Tyndale, a couple more will close. Uh, he again uh, said, uh, he translated the, the Bible in English, for you and I to meet. And he was the one that uh, 
launched into with the Gutenberg Press. So now we can get big-time copies. So how was he rewarded? Listen, the Catholic Church not only killed him, they strangled him to death, so he's dead. But even there, after that, it wasn't good enough, so they burned his body at the stake. John Hooper, he began to read the Bible. He, whoa, and so he rejected the, the false teaching. And listen to this. After he forgave the man who made the fire, it was lit, but the fire builder used green wood, and when it had finally caught, the wind blew the flames away from him. A second fire was lit, but it only burned low, not flaring up as it should have. Then a third fire was lit, but even that didn't do much good because of the wind. And listen, even when this man's mouth was black, his tongue was swollen, his lips continued to move until it shrank to the gums. He knocked on his breast with his hands until one of his arms fell off. In fact, he was in the fire for over 45 minutes, suffering patiently, even when the lower part of his body's burned off and his intestines spilled out. But, John Hooper. It was this man's writing that had a profound influence upon another group of Christians. In fact, so much so that eventually they decided enough is enough. And they decided to find a place to form their own country where they could have freedom in Jesus Christ. And those Christians were called the Puritans. And the Pope is over in our country trying to seduce us to come back. These guys must be rolling over in their graves. Pope Francis is a Jesuit, if you don't know. I think he's the first and only one that is a Jesuit ever. Now, that's big news because it's bad enough we see the history of what Rome does when you disagree with Rome. And if you think they've changed, they haven't, right? But he's also a Jesuit on top, and Jesuits have to take something called the Jesuit Extreme Oath of Induction. And they pledge themselves to be a soldier of the Pope, but this guy is the Pope now. But listen to just a portion of what they pledge to do when they become a Jesuit Catholic priest. And I quote, I promise, therefore, to the utmost of my power, that I shall and will defend this doctrine of His Holiness, the Catholic Church, and against all usurpers of the heretical or Protestant authority, whatever. I furthermore promise and declare that I will, when opportunity present, Make and wage relentless war secretly or openly against all heretics, Protestants and liberals, as I'm directed to do, and to exterminate them from the face of the whole earth, and that I will spare neither age, sex, or condition, and that I will hang, waste, boil, flay, strangle, and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up their stomachs and their wombs of their women, and crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate forever their execrable race. Then, when the same cannot be done openly, I will listen secretly behind the scenes." Use the poison cup, the strangulated cord, the steel of the poniard, the spear, or a leaden bullet, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the person or persons, whatever may be their condition in life, either public or private, as I at any time may be directed to do so as an agent of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Faith, the Society of Jesuits. And how was he treated when he came here to America? by the, at least the media. This guy's like a pop star, man. And Rome has never changed and never will their beliefs. And the church better wake up. I'll close with this. I remember Dr. Couch, he's now with the Lord who I sat under in seminary. And he said, we better as Protestant Christians better start speaking up and we better start speaking out. I didn't say we got to be nasty, 
But we need to speak out against this because they've never changed. And he warned years ago that if we don't church, they will revert to what happened in the time of the Reformation. Don't kid yourself. You fast forward to the seven-year tribulation. People are being slaughtered like flies. And he said, if we don't, we are headed back to the spiritual dark ages. We need to call a spade a spade. I didn't say we need to get nasty. I'm not saying we've been antagonistic and get into a clash of... We need to treat this as an issue of just as I would reach out to a Mormon, just as I'd reach out to a Jehovah's Witness, just as I'd reach out to a pagan on the street, just as I'd witness to a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a New Ager, I need to start witnessing to Catholics. Because these are not secondary issues. These are salvific issues. And you get any one of these wrong, you got the wrong Jesus, you got the wrong salvation, which means you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. And how could we sit here and say nothing and do nothing? Or, in fear, keep our mouth shut. I'd rather have somebody hate my guts and go to heaven than love me and go to hell. And as Christians, we need to love as Christ loves. Did everybody love him? Did everybody like his message, even though it was true? We need to be prepared to do the same. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. 
The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, 
even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.